Oh, Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for the way that you show in so many ways just how powerful, how wonderful, how creative, how comforting, how caring, how encouraging, how spurring on you are. And Lord, we get to, we get to bask in your presence tonight. Thank you for that. Lord, will you help us to enjoy your presence while you spur us on, may we also spur one another on to live a life that follows Jesus and follows a life that is full of love and that is full of your goodness. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for our time. We ask this and we pray it through the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, to kind of change gears a bit, um, kind of like, you know, well, nothing like changing quickly like this. But anyway, um, to change gears, one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from the movie, Remember the Titans. You guys take a look, just a moment. All right, man, listen. I'm Gary, you're Julius. Let's get some particulars and just get this over with, all right? Particulars? Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen, I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? Well, what I got to say, you really don't wanna hear, cause honesty ain't too high up on your people priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them, pull them, do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste? You the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a You've job. You been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him worth a plug nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays. Yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is... I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. See, man, that's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Attitude reflects leadership. Man, it is so true. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Our attitudes, they drive what we do. They drive why we do what we do in a lot of ways and how we impact people that are around us. You know, tonight we're finishing up this mini-series that we've been in for several weeks now. Uh, it's called Balanced. And we've been going back through uh, the, the, the series of old, if you will, just to talk through what it means to live this balanced life, living the legacy of loving God living this legacy of loving people, building relationships with people, fighting normal, focusing on the why behind who we're for rather than what we're against, living with excellence and desiring this generational impact that it doesn't just stop with us. All the while, we're following and striving for the characteristics of the early church that we, who bought, they sold possessions in order to give to anybody who had needs, they shared life together so much that they had everything that mattered in common. They enjoyed the favor of all the people, both inside the church and outside the church. And the Lord added to their number those that were being saved. 
You see, to strive for this kind of an identity, for us as the church, legacy, to strive for this kind of an identity, it requires a balanced life because this is a, this is a high calling. This is, a, this is a, a, an important, um, very difficult task to try to put all of that together and to live this life in such a way. And so this identity, it requires for us to know the why behind our what. We got to know what it means to be balanced, worship, reach, connect, grow, and serve. We got to know that when we worship, we're balanced because we're responding to God's presence regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. We can look and we can say, okay, as I look through loving God and loving people, what does it mean to reach? Well, it means that we're building relationships with people who are spiritually curious, very intentionally from, in a, with a very specific purpose of sharing the love of Jesus with people. Well, then, okay, then worship, reach, we want to connect. Well, we can't focus all of our attention outside the church. We also need to live life together and share life together with other believers. That way we're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. And then of course, in the midst of this, we wanna make sure we're growing in our relationship with the Lord, which means that we are developing relationally. We're spending time in God's word. We're spending time in prayer. We're fasting and we're doing all of the disciplines that are found within scripture in order to draw near to our heavenly father. And then, of course, now we talk tonight about what it means to serve. Now, the conventional definition of serve is commonly thought about within the church. We talk about serving in preschool ministry, serving in student ministry. We talk about serving by going on mission to Haiti and Kenya and India. We talk about serving people in a lot of different ways. But most of the time, whenever those conversations are had, it tends to be internally focused, Well, what we want to do is we want to flip the script on this. We want to make sure that, yeah, we want to do those things. That goes without saying. That just is the part of being a believer. We do those things because we love Jesus. We love the church. And we're going to serve from within the church and care for the body of Christ that way. Yeah. But what we mean by living a balanced life where we are serving, this is actually an external focus. Because what we mean by the definition of serve, we want to bring joy to people who are far from God. See, we reach people by building relationships with those that are spiritually curious. Yeah, that, those are people who are in the lane of talking about the things of Jesus. We want to bring joy to people who are anti-Jesus. That's what we mean by serving people. We want to serve those who not only are not following Jesus, but they have a major beef against the church because they cry foul on the hypocrisy of people that have gone on before. They cry foul on some things where they have experienced something within the church that has made them run the opposite way. And therefore, they have a disdain for the body of Christ. Our responsibility is to bring joy to them. We want to bring joy to people who look at Jesus and go, that's just nothing but a spiritual crutch for the weak-minded. Our job is to bring joy. Now, what I've said in all of these statements are very offensive statements, aren't they? Don't you take, don't you take personal offense to that? It's like, how dare you think that I'm weak-minded and I just use Jesus as a spiritual crutch? How dare you think I'm a hypocrite? No, I focus very clearly on my character and my integrity. I want to work hard on those things. So yeah, we very quickly get offended by these things, but we just got to make sure that we don't get offended. This is going to take some supernatural impact, isn't it? It's going to take God doing a mighty work within us in order for us to bring joy to people who have a very different position from a spiritual standpoint than we have. To bring joy to those far from God. It expands the serve that we often associate with this word. It expands that. 
See, here's the thing we gotta remember. That's why this takes supernatural impact here, all right? Because joy, do you believe this? Joy is not something that you or I can produce. We can't produce joy. You don't get to choose to manifest joy in your life. I know that goes against all those cool phrases and all those things that are in stores that you can buy and hang up in your house and all that kind of thing. I know that. But the thing is, is that you can't choose joy. You can't produce joy. You know why? Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now you can choose Jesus and by the power of Jesus saving your life, the Holy Spirit then indwells in your life and therefore joy becomes a part of your life, becomes fruit that can be born out of your life, but it is not something that you can create. It is only produced by the Holy Spirit. And so when we say to bring joy, what we're saying is we're bringing the Holy Spirit everywhere we go so that the fruit of the Lord will be produced in our relationships and in our conversations. And so this is a result of devoting our lives to Jesus. It's a devotion of following Jesus so closely that when people rub up against us, when we have conversations with people, they can't help but experience the joy of the Lord in dark times, in light times, in happy times, in sad times. They're experiencing this joy and this peace that is beyond an understanding of conventional wisdom. And it makes them go, wait, this is different. Talk to me about why this exists in your life. Now, we've all encountered people that are hard to love, right? Some of you are sitting next to them, right? It's okay, everybody. You don't have to say, say, say you know, I could have said hard to like. Um, and, and so, so now, but we've experienced people who are hard to love, you know, it's, it's hard to love people sometimes. Sometimes it's really hard to like people too, isn't it? It's hard because we're a bunch of knuckleheads and we, we are selfish and we, we, we like what we want and we say dumb things and it's just hard to live life. Well, that's in this room. Now think about, it's hard to love some people that you interact with on a weekly basis at work. It's hard to love people that you interact with on a weekly basis at your child's sporting event or at whatever you are doing throughout the week. You probably have some people it's hard to love. It's even hard to like them too. Maybe even harder to like them than it is to love them. It's in these moments that what we're talking about tonight really comes to a point. It's in these moments when we need Jesus to save us, not from the other person. We need Jesus to save us from ourselves. We need Jesus to save us from our criticism of that person. We need Jesus to save us from our frustration towards that person. We need Jesus to save us from ourselves in order for us to bring joy. And so this is not natural, is it? This is not something that we just naturally do when someone offends you, especially offends you about your Jesus, right? When somebody offends you, it's not our natural response to go, thank you, may I have another? Right, that's just not what we do. We sit here, we get all hacked off and we, get, we feel like we need to defend our Jesus and we need to come out of our shoes at him and all this kind of thing and prove to them that our way is right. We're gonna push against that a little bit here. No. Today, we're gonna ask God to do something really special in our lives. And that is to exchange our natural responses for supernatural responses. 
This is what we're asking God to do. Change our natural responses to when we experience spiritual opposition to where we have supernatural responses instead. Our text tonight is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. I'm going to just read through this. I'm going to highlight a couple of things as we go through, but I want to read through this. And you just kind of evaluate your life and see if these are natural responses for you or if these are gonna require some supernatural influence in your life in order for this to be um, a reality in your life. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says these words, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in seal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Ready for it? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now we're talking, right? Boom. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think we all in this room probably naturally are okay to respond with heaping burning coals on someone's head that is in opposition of us. All right, that one there, we probably kind of go, now nah, that we, I like that one. Everything else, right? Everything else in here requires a supernatural impact in our lives because we do not naturally We do not naturally gravitate towards the good. We naturally gravitate towards the bad. Proof in in point, you're driving down the road, there's a car wreck. You don't naturally just think about the best scenario. No, people turn and they look. They're drawn towards the hard and the bad. It's an interesting deal. Here's what we have to remember. In order to bring joy to people, you must exchange your natural responses for supernatural ones. And so I ask a simple question at this point now. How do you naturally respond to spiritual opposition? How do you naturally respond? Just in your, if you could just be honest with yourself real quick, when someone opposes you from a spiritual perspective, how do you naturally respond? For me, I was had a short stint in the life insurance world whenever I was in uh, doing my, my seminary training, trying to make a little bit of money and survive. One day we were having lunch in the office and in that office, I was wearing a shirt that had a phrase on there that was a take off of the, the old slogan back in the day called got milk. You remember that one? 
So some of you guys may remember the, the commercial that it was a big commercial. It was just got milk and it was just a, a marketing push to drink milk. Uh, well, um, at the time, my sister-in-law was playing on a volleyball team that uh, had these shirts and, uh, and on the shirt, uh, it said, got Jesus. And, uh, and so it was a fundraiser for their volleyball team. So naturally, uh, we, we got one of those shirts and I'm wearing that shirt and I'm in the office. And we're making our lunch and everything. And this guy that was pretty well known for being a little rough around the edges, um, he looks over at me and he says, hey, you want a little Jesus with that sandwich? Now, I gotta be honest with you. At that stage in my life, I was relatively young. Now, I was in seminary training to become a pastor, so I should have done better than this, right? You would think, but I didn't. Um, uh, And so I, I just naturally got hacked off. I never spoke to him again. Not one more time. Anytime he came in the office, I went the opposite direction. I couldn't stand to even look at him. And I never spoke to him ever again. Now, I will tell you, I have replayed that scenario so many times in my head of ways that I could have responded in a way that, that, that changed things. But you want to know something? At that stage in my life, I was still trying to figure out how God really even saw me and really kind of get down to the fact of God loves me no matter what I do or don't do. I wasn't really at the place in that point in my life where I understood that God would never love me any more and he would never love me any less than he did in that moment. I didn't know who I was. I wasn't quite sure why I was here on this earth. I was still trying to figure these things out. And so it's in those moments where I wasn't sure how God really saw me because I was pretty critical of myself. You guys know that's something I struggle with. It's that self-criticism and that inner voice just telling me I'm not doing good enough, right? And so you've got that. And then, I, and then I've got this, I'm not really sure who I am. And then I get offended. My, 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 the foundation of who I am gets offended. And I didn't know what to do. And it was just a crazy reality to be in that office at that time, knowing I should respond differently than this, but everything in me to respond just naturally. And that is, I don't ever want to see you ever again in my life. And it was a humanity moment that was hard. Now, here's the thing. One thing I've learned from that story is bringing joy or bringing the Holy Spirit in these moments to people who oppose you spiritually doesn't begin with them. Bringing joy to people who oppose you spiritually begins within. It begins right here. How we know how God sees us and we know who we are and why we're on this earth and how we operate on this earth. I mean, it is impossible to bless people who persecute you when you are continually persecuting yourself or when you are thinking that maybe God may even persecute you because he's disappointed with you. It is impossible to rejoice with those who rejoice that oppose you spiritually because you kind of really want them to get what you think they deserve, right? But that's not the heart of God. That's not how God operates with us. And so we look, it is not possible to cling to what is good and to live at peace with everyone if you're not doing this within yourself and you're not allowing God to do this within you. It's impossible for that to flow through you if you're still kind of wondering where you stand with God and who you are as a result. 
So what I'm trying to say is you can't see people how God sees them unless you know how God sees you. So it's impossible to bring joy to those who are far from God unless you've allowed the joy of the Lord to become your strength. You can try and you can be good and you can do good things, but it's impossible for this to become sustainable in your life. And so my question now is, now that we've kind of talked through our natural responses with spiritual oppression, my next question is this. Do you know how God sees you? Or are you still guilty of beating yourself up time and time again because you don't think you're good enough for God? And you're just kind of wondering if the other shoe's gonna drop and God's gonna have to discipline you in some form or fashion because you're just not good enough. Or do you know how God sees you with unconditional love, with everything through your good, wanting good to be the result of what happens in your life, in the hard, in the good, in the easy, in the, all these times. Do you know how God sees you? I have to follow that up with a very, very important question that leads to that one, and that is, is Jesus your Savior? Because if Jesus is not your Savior, it is not possible for you to know how God sees you, because you don't understand why Jesus would die on a cross for you, unless you understand Jesus as your Savior. Have you given your life to Christ and allowed the Holy Spirit to become a part of your life? It's impossible to bring the Holy Spirit to people if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the way to this. And then my final question in this section is, are you following Jesus? See, you can have these first two. You can know how God sees you and Jesus can be your savior and you can just not be following Jesus. You just know these things. You got your fire insurance and so heaven's promise, but yet Life to the full here on this earth is not necessarily what the goal is, at least not according to Jesus, because you're not following him. So are you following Jesus? Are you reading about Jesus? And are you trying to do everything you can to pattern your life after the real Jesus, the real Jesus that walked this earth, that changed the world forever by his life and his death? See, if you answer anything but yes to any of those questions I just asked, do you know how God sees you? Is Jesus your savior? And are you following Jesus? If you answered anything but yes to any of these questions, what we're just about to talk about here in just a moment is impossible for you to sustain. And so you gotta choose Jesus because we're about to talk about some stuff you're gonna want in your life. Gotta choose Jesus. But if you got yeses to these questions, then what we're about to talk about is possible because it becomes possible to care for people how God cares for them when you know how God cares for you. It becomes possible in that moment. Now, one thing that will help you, we're just gonna talk about one thing tonight, and that is one thing that will help you exchange the natural for the supernatural within you, right? Exchange the natural for the supernatural in order to bring joy with you everywhere you go is to rewire your brain to think good rather than evil. Now, this requires supernatural, to rewire your brain. Now, I'm gonna give you some some helpful ways that we can do this, some helpful ways that we can live this out and actually think the good rather than the bad. This is, we rewire our brain to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good, to bless those who persecute you because you are not thinking evil, you're thinking not getting even, you're thinking Blessing, honor, 
care, unconditional love, to not repay anyone evil for their evil, to live at peace with everyone, and to overcome evil with good. We have to rewire the brain to live this out in a remarkable way, and God is gonna be the one that can do this. Now, there are some things we can do to help rewire our brain, and Dr. Carolyn Leaf gives us uh, some example here. She proves that if you will replace each and every negative thought with a positive truth for seven days, seven days, you will literally break down negative matter in your brain and begin creating positive connections in its place. But it requires significant discipline. Every negative thought is taken captive and it is replaced with positive. It is replaced with good. These are not just semantics. We're talking about science, brain science here. Each time you anticipate a negative interaction, whether it's tomorrow morning, you know you're gonna have that negative interaction at work, or whether it's this week, you know you got something coming that's gonna be negative. Each and every time, this is a moment where you pray and you literally think the opposite and you train your brain to do the opposite effect. So an example would be, you're driving down the road, you know you're gonna see a homeless person that you're going to encounter. I don't know what your natural response is when you see a homeless person when you're driving up. If you, your natural response is to not make eye contact, if your natural response is to roll the window up, if your natural response is to roll the window down and give something, whether you, whatever the case may be. I don't know what your natural response is, but if it is a negative response, it's time to spend some time with the Lord in preparation for that so that the negative is not the prevailing thought, but instead God's goodness is the prevailing thought. To where rather than saying, I'm not gonna make eye contact, you go, you know what? I'm going to make eye contact today with love in my eyes. Maybe your boss, every time you encounter your boss, they're just horrible to you. And everything in your mind, you're like, dead gummit, I gotta see them again. I'd be okay if they just never came to work again. You know, but yet, there you go. You get to walk in tomorrow. You get to walk in this week, whatever the case may be. And every time you're anticipating this negative interaction, you spend time. If you're a journaler, man, this is like your wheelhouse here, okay? Just journal it up. Write down that negative thought you have about your boss and replace it with a positive. Write down that negative interaction you're afraid is gonna happen and replace it with a positive. You spend time doing this. Maybe it's a coworker that you have. Maybe it's something to do with race. Maybe it's something to do with gender. Maybe it's something to do with identity. Whatever the case may be, whatever your thought is, if it is an evil thought, if it is a negative thought, you replace it with the goodness of God and you're asking God to help you replace that with either a journal entry or a prayer or a thought process. You spend time saying, God, I need you to take this from me? And would you place your goodness in its place? This is how we replace the natural with the supernatural. These are things that we can do. And if we'll do this for seven days, can you believe this? If you will concentrate for seven days between now and the next time that we gather together, every single negative thought, you take it captive and you replace it. And you ask God to replace that negative thought with a positive instead. This is, the, this is the beauty of it. And you guys, this is called spiritual warfare. This is called enter into the arena and get ready 
for the fight because the enemy is coming after you. There's gonna be so many things that you can think negative about. You're gonna be like, gosh, I'm just constantly praying. Bingo. Constantly spending time with the Lord on this. Bingo. That's how the goodness of God changes and rewires your brain. Goodness of God changes and rewires the way you see people because you're seeing now finally how God's seeing you. Because all the while you're seeing these negative things, God's saying, see, these are things that you don't like about you, and that's why you can't stand this about that person. Those are the things that tend to bubble up about us so much, and God's able to heal those things and to tell us how he sees us. And then we're able then to give grace and mercy and forgiveness to people that we otherwise couldn't beforehand. It's the beauty of who God is. You know, we're going to sing a song in just a little bit, talking about this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight. We fight by by looking at God and giving thanksgiving to God. Thank you for loving me the way that you do, Lord. We're giving praise to him. Lord, I praise you. I honor you because you are goodness. You are able to overcome evil with your goodness. You're able to do, and we spend this time worshiping and responding to God's presence. And that's all the while God's rewiring our brain because we're receiving from him and God's able to then move in and through us. See, this is all part of the process of bringing joy to people who are far from God because if we're expecting a negative interaction from a spiritual perspective, most oftentimes our natural response to that is, I don't wanna have anything to do with you. I'm not gonna talk to you. I'm not gonna spend time. But yet, what does God do with us whenever we are far from God? God leans in, doesn't he? God pursues after us with forgiveness with mercy, with his goodness. We want to be like Jesus, don't we? Well, if we want to genuinely bring joy in the Holy Spirit to people who are far from God, we got to exchange the natural for the supernatural. I want to just remind you for just a moment what our goal is here, being on mission. This is the relationship continuum. This is something we've talked about for years and years and years. And here's our goal, is for you and me to spend time bringing joy to somebody who's far from God. We're in relationship with someone who's far from God. And upon this this conversation piece, we're hoping that the spiritual conversations begin to take shape. We're not gonna force the spiritual conversation. We're just gonna trust that God's gonna bring those to light as we bring joy to them. We usher in the Holy Spirit. People can't encounter God without a changed life. And so we're expecting spiritual conversations to come as a result in hopes that somebody chooses Jesus as their savior, which is a big word here, conversion. We're longing for conversion experience in a person's life where they choose Jesus as savior and then they become one of those that is mentoring someone else who is far from God. And then we then begin mentoring somebody else who's far from God. And you see the multiplied effect that takes place to change the world. This is our goal. But here's the thing. There's only one way that this works in this world. And that's through Jesus. It's through Jesus and it's through the exchange of the natural responses, this exchange of the natural way we view ourselves, the way we naturally view other people. It's the exchange for the natural, for the supernatural. It's the transformation by the renewing our minds and the way that we think. And then from there, it's supernaturally fighting back with the hope of joy in our lives. We fight back with this hope of joy because when we allow the Holy Spirit to change our natural thought life, something amazing happens. It changes our attitudes. It changes the attitude that we have towards people. 
and it changes the way we interact with other people. This is a beautiful reality because then we are able to supernaturally bring joy to those that are far from God. And then guess what? That then begins to spill over into other people. And that leadership multiplies into not only our network, but into the networks of those that we're getting to interact with. And so here it is today. I hope you're going to do something. As we sing this next song and as we talk about and you think about it, as we do this, I hope that you will ask God to remind you, how does God see you? Students, this week, this is a perfect thing for you to do this week. God, how do you see me? And just ask him and then just be quiet. And then the thoughts that come to your head, start writing them down. And just let God tell you how God sees you. And then to have the opportunity to exchange those natural responses for supernatural ones. And then what we want in this is we just want, we want God to help us to see people the way that God sees people and to get to usher in the Holy Spirit in hopes, in hopes that this leads to spiritual conversations that lead to conversion and lead to life to the fullest for those that are far from God. This is not natural. We've talked about it. It's important and it's essential. It's difficult, it's right, but you wanna know what else? It's us. So Lord, we need you. We need you right now to, to, to help us remember who we are, to help us to know whose we are. And so Lord, I pray that, that you help us just to ask those questions. Am I following you? Ask those questions, you know, are my natural responses ones that, that speak of Jesus or are my natural responses ones that speak of just myself, the culture that I live in or whatever the case may be. And Lord, we want with everything we've got to serve people that are far from you. We wanna be known as a people that ushers in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control to people that don't know you, to people that don't know how good you are, to people who think they hate you. And Lord, we want to be known for your goodness. And so Lord, will you change us? Will you make us into your image? And may we be the image bearer of Jesus. We pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen.